Well, if you have your Bibles, take them out and um, turn with me to, uh, well, you can, I'll read to you Galatians 5, 22 and 23 here in just a second, but you can turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter. Now, I know this morning I've had a few people comment on my shirt. I know, most people have said they kind of like it. And I thought, you know, we're talking about joy today, so I might as well wear a color that kind of suggests joy. And so if you, if you, if you go out and you, you can find that each color represents, you know, an emotion or something like that. And so the colors that are most associated with joy are orange and pink. And uh, so I thought, well, I'm going to go with pink. And part of the reason I went with pink is that, you know, when we get to that season called Advent right there around Christmas, and we do the wreath, and there's the three purple candles and the pink one, the pink one symbolizes joy. So I thought, eh, we'll go with pink today. So hopefully you have your sunglasses on and, um, and ready to go. So I learned a couple things this week that I thought you might find interesting. Uh, I like to find interesting statistics, as you know, and, and so I was proven right this week, and you know, that's, you know, that doesn't happen all the time, and so I thought, man, I got to share this one. But um, I learned that there is a, there is a uh, temperature where happiness is maximized. And you know what, you anybody have any guesses? No, it's not 85, 57 degrees. Yes, so happiness is maximized at 57 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, don't start a riot in here. I'm only reporting what the internet tells me. Um, the other thing that I learned from the interweb is that uh, people who attend church weekly are happier than people who attend church monthly. It's on the internet, it must be true, right? So. <laughs> We are starting, or uh, we're the second week in on a series um, based on, if I can find it here, Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 and 23. And these verses, uh, we learn about what Paul entitles the fruit of the Spirit. And so, those verses are, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against things like this. Amen. Um, my question for you this morning is, are you happy? Are you happy? Are you really happy? Uh, if you think about it, our Declaration of Independence in, in our country says that one of our unalienable rights is the pursuit of happiness. And so if you look around, people do spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money on things that they think will make them happy. But one of the other statistics that I came across this week is that only one out of three people say they're really happy. And so those two things don't add up. On the one hand, we live in a, a nation where one of our rights is the ability uh, to pursue our own happiness. And yet on the other hand, not very many of us, 33% of us, are only re are reporting that we actually feel really happy. And so it, it occurred to me that maybe the pursuit of happiness leads us to being unhappy. And, and uh, I think it's, it's kind of well documented that, um, and studies have shown that consumerism is the biggest suppressant of happiness. But we like to try, right? We're going to go for those uh, good, emotional, 
happy highs with cars and trucks and boats and houses, and when those wear off, then we get, you know, a faster car or a bigger truck or, you know, a different kind of boat or a bigger house. And we invest in all sorts of things because we continually want to get to this feeling of being emotionally happy. And, and what studies tell us is that it's kind of a vicious cycle and you never get there. And so we get the statistics that say, well, really only one in three people actually feel like they're really happy. Hey, I've heard some very well-meaning Christians say things like, well, God really wants me to be happy. And the problem is, is that when I go through this book, I don't find that in this book. Um, now, what God wants is your full devotion. That's in here over and over and over again. God wants your devotion. He desires your devotion over and above your personal happiness. Now, along the way, as we become fully devoted followers of Jesus, happiness will come along the way. This, this joy that we're talking about will be something that we reap. His goal really is to transform our lives so that we become more like him instead of just, um, you know, making us happy all the time. And so as you become more in tune with God and are filled with his Holy Spirit, you will discover this fruit of, of joy. And joy kind of happens when we realize that God's exuberance, that God's vitality flow from his life into ours. And in today's English, we're dealing with some terms here, happy and joy, that in, in our English, our current modern English, are kind of interlocked like this. There's, you can't really distinguish happiness and joy if you look up the definitions. Um, joy is a, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, and happy is defined almost identically. Um, but if you look at the word happy for a second... H-A-P-P-Y. It's this word hap, and then, and then there's a tag on the end. And the word hap means chance or luck. And it's the root words uh, for words like happen. It's the root word for a word like haphazard, for happy. And so if you think about it from that perspective, happiness is this temporary feeling that's that's based on something that's going on in your life. It's kind of circumstantial. It's, uh, it's enjoying the weather when it's nice. It's sharing a cup of coffee with a friend. It's exercising. It's a promotion at work. It's finding the perfect parking spot. It's avoiding the traffic jam on I-5. Whatever it is, it's, it's kind of fleeting. It's something that happens to you and you feel emotionally good about it, and, but then you move on to, to something else. What we're talking about this morning is joy something totally different. It's a, the difference between happiness and joy that's described in Scripture is um, uh, it's not shallow, kind of like happiness is. Paul lists joy as second in his list of the spiritual fruit, and, and um, he says that the fruit of love is meant to have this element of, of joy, it doesn't change with the temperature. It doesn't, you know, it's not based on what we're feeling in any uh, given moment. And uh, happiness and joy, they're connected. Don't get me wrong. They're connected in many different ways, but, but the well that joy bubbles up from is much deeper than the puddles that we often find happiness lurking about in. Um, the Greek word that Paul uh, chooses to use in Galatians is um, it's the Greek word kara, C-H-A-R-A. And it's having a, he's referring to this inner disposition of joy, of gladness is another word that is used sometimes uh, in your translations where joy would be, uh, it's somewhat interchangeable with the word gladness. And what he's talking about with this inner disposition is joy can become this foundation. Uh, joy can be 
what shapes our entire outlook on life. And that is a gift from God. Paul, in his letter to the Roman church, he outlined what he believed God's kingdom looks like. And he said this. He said God's kingdom is about righteousness. God's kingdom is about peace. And he says God's kingdom is about joy in the Holy Spirit. So with all of that, I look around at the landscape of Christianity, specifically in, you know, in our context here, maybe um, local, regional, our country, American Christianity, if you will. And I don't always get the feeling that we're very joyful people. Now, there's momentary joy, things that we celebrate, and we laugh, we have fun together, and um, that's all well and good, but um, sometimes, don't take this the wrong way, I'm talking about other churches, not this one, you know, <laughs> certainly it wouldn't happen here, but sometimes Christians walk around, have you ever had the candy, the Sour Patch Kids? You know, you put, the, you put that in your mouth and it's just like instant sour face. The really good candy. Yeah, some Christians walk around like their parents weaned them on a dill pickle. And, you know, their face is all scrunched up. And these are the kind of people who take the woe is me attitude, you know, the kind of the Eeyore approach to life. And, you know, I just, I try and match up this inner disposition of joy and gladness that Paul says is the the fruit that God wants to grow in our life. And then I look at, you know, how, how are we behaving? And so it, it causes me to question, are we, are we really in it for God and what he has for us? Are we totally sold out to him or are we kind of playing this game? And, and so when we do that, then we're, you know, if we want to say we're a bit emotionally unstable in the joy department. Remember that old song, um, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it, right? So when you're feeling the joy, it's okay once in a while to say, hey, face, we're feeling joy. Let's have a little smile, okay? So let it out once in a while. Maybe you have to sing that song and remember Dave's pink shirt and yeah, never mind. Eugene Peterson, he reminds us that joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It's a consequence. It just, it happens. It's not what we have to do in order to experience life in Christ. It is what comes to us when we are walking the way of faith and obedience. Joy is a product of abundance. So as we spend time with God in the Word, in prayer, in worship, uh, in core groups and so forth, uh, as we get closer to God and He fills us up, you know, we pray, we're taught to pray that, um, you know, we want God's kingdom to come. If, if we want God's kingdom to come in its fullness in, in our life, in our church, in our community, that means that our kingdom has to go. And so as our kingdom goes, as we submit ourselves, as we empty ourselves, and he fills us up, what's going to happen is we're going to get to this abundance, and it's going to start overflowing, and so joy is part of this abundance. It's this overflow of vitality. And so really, as we kind of talk about uh, joy this morning, it's a pretty simple outline. It looks like this. Um, joy is found in your salvation. Joy is present even in suffering and struggle. The joy of the Lord is your strength, and our joy is to be shared with others. So that's the outline, and you have your Bibles open to a text in 1 Peter, and I'd invite you to stand with me as I read that. I think this one gets at what we're trying to uh, uncover today. So 1 Peter... Chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 3. 
May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. On account of his vast mercy, he has given us new birth. You have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have a pure and enduring inheritance that cannot perish, an inheritance that is presently kept safe in heaven for you. Through his faithfulness, you are guarded by God's power so that you can receive the salvation he is ready to reveal in the last time. You now rejoice in this hope, even if it's necessary for you to be distressed for a short time by various trials. This is necessary so that your faith may be found genuine. Your faith is more valuable than gold, which will be, which will be destroyed even though it is itself tested by fire. Your genuine faith will result in praise, glory, and honor for you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you've never seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you trust him and rejoice with a glorious joy that is too much for words. You are receiving the goal of your faith, your salvation. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So joy is found in your salvation. You like to be saved, right? Yes? You like to be saved? Yes. All right. So recently, our family made a journey over to Montana. We were in Glacier National Park, our very favorite place on the planet. It was a very, very, very hot day. It was not the optimum temperature for happiness. And so we're going on this hike. And on the map, you know, it says we're going to Apgar Lookout. And the, the hike, the, the, the best part of the hike is the, the view, the payoff at the end. The hike itself is kind of brutal. It's like straight up a mountain. I mean, you get to zigzag a couple times. But, you know, you're... I don't know, it's 2,500 feet of elevation gain, something like that, and, you know, it's only a three-and-a-half-mile trail, and so you can imagine it's, it's pretty steep. So we're going up, and we're plodding along, and we get to the top, and it was a nice view, and fortunately some clouds came in and, and uh, kind of cooled it off, and there was this breeze for the way down. We get to the bottom, and we're like, oh, yes, we're going to go get some food and some cold water and, you know, clean up and... Um, Somebody says, hey, you, you got a flat tire. And we're, mind you, we're at a trailhead in the middle of nowhere. And so we were driving our expedition, and the spare tire on an expedition is underneath in the back of the rig. And you have to have a special tool to release the tire from underneath that goes into this little hole and you put it in and you twist it around and, and I couldn't find the tool. Um, I learned something that day about our vehicle. The tool, we actually had it with us. It's the thing that props up the hood when you open the hood. You can disconnect that, stick it in the hole, turn around and the tire you know, just drops nicely. But we're stuck. We can't get the spare tire off of the vehicle to put it on the front. We were saved that day by Dirk. And we called roadside assistance, and they sent Dirk out to the rescue. And he shows up in this big rig. He was about ready to tow a motor home. And he gets there, and he says, well, this rig isn't set up to take care of flat tires like this. This, is, this rig is set up to haul things. I'm like, so he's like, but I can help. So he borrowed a tool from the truck that was in the parking lot to, you know, help us out. And it's Montana, so you borrow tools there, is what he said. <clears throat> but Dirk, he was this bubbly, joyful, awesome guy, just the kind of person that you want to see when you feel like you're having a bad day. But, you know, all of us were like, well, you know, it, it is what it is. Nobody was upset. It was just kind of this minor delay in our day. We learned something about our vehicle, and we got to meet our new friend, Dirk. And so he gets our the flat tire off, the new one on. He pumps that baby up, and, and we're, we're good to go. And so this is uh, 
we're leaving to come home like the next day. And so now we have this spare tire on the front, and it is 4.40, right? It was 4.40 in the day. Les Schwab, which is 25 to 30 minutes away, closes at 5 o'clock. So Dirk saved us, I mean, he got us back on the road, and then, you know, we made it out of the park, and we pulled up late. My police officer friends, we were late getting to the Les Schwab Tire Center. <clears throat> late. <laughs> Just for the record, because this is recorded. <laughs> i got to watch myself. <clears throat> so all the lights are off, the parking lot is empty, I'm like, oh. But I pull in, I'm going to go try the door anyway, push the door, the door was unlocked, and Trent was at the counter. And he looks at me and like, we're closed. And I'm like, I know, but I, I, I need some advice. I have this tire, it's got a hole in it, I can see, I, and I'm pretty sure the tire is not repairable, but I just needed, you know, an expert's opinion. So convinced Trent to come out and see the tire that was in the back of the car. He looks at it and he's like, oh, yeah, you can't repair that one. I'm like, well, I'm kind of in a predicament. So we're driving back to western Washington tomorrow, and I don't really want to drive on a spare. And um, so we're looking at having it either fixed tonight. Is there any other shop in town that you know? Oh, no, everybody shuts down. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, what about tomorrow, Sunday? Uh, no, you know, most of these places are closed on Sundays. I don't, you know... And Monday's the 4th of July, mind you. So everybody's closed on the 4th of July. So it was going to be Tuesday before I could get my tire fixed. And uh, so I said, so we wait around till Tuesday maybe, or we try and, you know, head back on this. I don't, and he's like, yeah, but you probably, you don't, I want you to be safe. I don't want, you know, you probably shouldn't do that. I'm like, yeah, but I don't. <clears throat> he's, I'm like, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm probably going to need a set of tires, right? And he's like, yeah, because, you know, you don't want to buy just one tire. And so, you know, when I said a set of tires, he's like, huh. <laughs> you would buy a set of tires? I'm like, well, you've eliminated the other options that I have, right? Yeah? I'm like, yeah, so if you give me a decent deal on a set of tires, then I guess that's what we're going to have to do. He's like, oh, we'll stay open if you get a set of tires. So Trent hooked us up. He had two guys that were help. Uh, helping him shut down. Here's my advice to you. If you ever need a new set of tires, show up at Les Schwab 10 minutes late, like after they close, and tell them you're going to buy a new set. Of, they were done in 18 minutes. <laughs> in and out the door. No waiting. It was awesome. So Dirk added to my salvation that day, and so did Trent. And, you know, it, it was a situation that, um, you know, God was in it too because I didn't want to go on that hike. Other people had selected the hike. I knew what the trail was like. I didn't expect the heat. But you know what? The only place in Glacier National Park where I had a cell phone signal was at the base of that trailhead. So we were able to make the call to... Hey, we need some help. You know, when we get to our text here this morning, Peter, he kind of rehearses stories like that. I mean, that's kind of a, in the scheme of things, you know, being saved from a flat tire. We find joy in that. I mean, we love that. We love to be saved. But in the scheme of things, that's kind of a trivial sort of a thing. Peter gets really to the heart of where, where our true joy comes from. And he says that... Um, he teaches us to praise God and to bless his name. Now, why do we do that? Because of his vast mercy for us. And that he has given us a new birth, which means then that we have this living hope that we can draw on. And we have this living hope because of what Jesus did on the cross and for the fact that he was resurrected from the dead. And Peter goes on, he says, and this, this is your inheritance. For all believers, we inherit the same thing that Christ did, which was a resurrection from the dead. 
So our joy is found in our salvation. This is the reason that we can uh, have this inner disposition of joy because it's based and predicated upon what Jesus has already done and the hope that we can find in that. And there's this, there's a three elements to the to this joy that we find that, that Peter talks about. There's this, this past. There's joy that we can celebrate in the past. This is what Jesus did for us. And, and there's joy because we can find it in the present. God is doing this in our life. He is saving us right now. He is forgiving us when we come to him. And, and then there's this, there's this future element as well to our joy when, when, when he keeps pointing us forward to the day when, when Jesus will return. And so the things that we struggle with today will be no longer. And, and so we have this past. We celebrate joy because of what Jesus did and, and celebrate it into the present even now. And, and as Christians, we can have this inner disposition of joy because we know how the story ends. That God has been is victorious already and one day Jesus will come and finalize that and bring us all to wholeness and to completion. Joy is found in our salvation. But there's this element that, um, you know, we have struggles and suffering in our life. There's stresses, and, and yet we can still find joy even in our suffering and our struggle. If you look at verse 6, and what Peter wrote, he says, we rejoice in this hope, even during times of struggle and trouble and, and stress. Because there's this, there's something that's necessary uh, about growing a, a genuine faith that, that we have to go through difficult times. I don't know if you're different than me, but the lessons that I learn the best are the ones that I have to struggle with the most that I have, to, I have to really engage my brain and my heart and my soul into figuring out, how do I get through this? Peter connects um, indescribable and glorious joy with suffering of various kinds. And so there's this paradoxical nature to, to joy. We are taught to find joy even during times that are, that are hard. It's a it's a way of seeing the world that, that gives you this sense of constancy and, and hope, even when things aren't going very well. It's an, it's an attitude that, that comes from being grateful in every circumstance. It's choosing to focus on things that we're grateful for instead of the things that we're disappointed in. So we all have choices to make in life, as we face, as we look at life and the circumstances that, that we find ourselves in, we, we, we have a choice every day, all the time. Either we, either, either we choose to see all of the things that we think are wrong with the world, like I hate this, I, you know, I really, oh, it just disgusts me, uh, I wish my life were more like whatever, uh, this frustrates me about my spouse, or you know, I'm really sick of my job, or whatever it is, you have a choice to make. You can either look at life from the perspective of everything that you think is wrong, or you can say, thanks. You notice that the sun shines. Well, in other parts of the country, you may have this experience more often. But, you know, okay, so this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So out in here, Western Washington, we can, we can hang on to that one. But you have the choice. You can look at whatever's wrong, or you can say, you know what? Thanks, God. Thanks for giving me this day to live another day. You can look at the blessings that we enjoy, or the people that that God has brought into our lives that, that surround us. And you can notice things that, that you like and you love about your spouse, and, and, and you can count the, the things um, that you enjoy in your workplace or your school. And if you, focus on things, if you focus on these things, you're going to start to find an ability to face adversity in your life. I mean, if you read through Acts, in your Bibles, 
You, you'll find a young church that struggled with all sorts of things. And, and the apostles were, you know, they were kind of at odds with the religious system of the day. And the religious leaders of the day were constantly bringing them into court and throwing them in jail. And over and over again, we find that the apostles responded with joy just for being they counted it a privilege to suffer on the account of Jesus who had saved them. James, we'd studied this a few weeks ago. He says in James 1, uh, think of the tests that you face as opportunities for pure joy. And so we can look at difficult situations as an, opportun an opportunity to mature in Christ. I was reading about the, the emperor moth this week. Now, it's not a moth that's common to the United States. This is more in, in Europe. But the emperor moth, now it doesn't sound like that elegant of a bug, but it's quite beautiful. The pattern on its wings is absolutely gorgeous. So imagine like a, a monarch butterfly, you know, kind of a pretty butterfly. Well, this moth has, has these really neat markings. And, and so there's this, there was a story that I read of a of a guy who he found a cocoon of one of these moth, uh, emperor moths. And so he brought it home and he wanted to watch it, you know, come out of its shell. And so we, you know, one day he noticed that there was this, this little opening and then this, this moth is starting to push itself through this opening. And it was like hours and hours and he's watching this thing and and it's working with all its might. And it, it just got to this one point where it looks like he, he just thought it's stuck. And so he got out, he just got out these little, this little pair of scissors and, and he just snipped a piece of the cocoon and, and the moth came out just really easily. And, and, and he said the, you know, the, the body was kind of plump and, and swollen, but the, the wings were kind of dry and shriveled up. And so, you know, he sat there and watched because he was expecting, you know, this, this metamorphosis, this huge transformation to happen now right in front of his eyes, and it never did. The moth spent its entire life dragging around this swollen body with these dry, shriveled wings that wouldn't allow it to fly. See, part of the process for the moth, part of God's design in all of that was the struggle to get through the small opening pushes the fluids from the body out into the wings, and so the wings become vibrant and lifelike through the process of struggle. And it really reminded me that, that our spiritual life is kind of like that as well. There's times where we just don't think that we can get our plump, swollen bodies through the tiny opening, and then... And, and somebody gives us a little nudge, and, and, um, and out we come, and we're dry, and we're shriveled up, and we just drag ourselves around. But a vibrant spiritual life comes from the struggle of overcoming the obstacles and adversity that we face in our life. Paul writes about this. He says, Romans chapter 5, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand through him. And we boast in the hope of God's glory, but not only that, we even take pride in our problems because we know that the trouble produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. And this hope doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God doesn't waste the difficult circumstances of our life, but he uses them to develop and mature our character so that we can become more like his son, Jesus. So even in the middle of your struggles, you can find a reason, you can find an ability to, to be joyful. So when you get anxious about life's circumstances, or you look around at the political landscape or the financial times or uh, you just, you know, fear sets in or doubt or anxiety or, or whatever it is. When, when you worry about your personal finances, when, you, when your marriage is going over a, a rough patch, when, when your health 
seems like it's failing you. Paul, Paul would give us counsel that sounds something, something like the old song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Except he wouldn't say, don't worry, be happy. He would say, don't worry, be joyful. Uh, God's joy comes like the rain in the barren times, like the scripture that we heard read for us a little bit earlier. Just when you're ready to give up, just when you least expect it, just when you come... Um, just when you are, are just down and out and ready to throw in the towel, the rain of God's joy starts to set in, and it comes and it fills up the dry and barren places, and laughter comes once again to a saddened heart, and this is all a blessing of, of God. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I know going through the tough times, the adversity, the struggle requires a lot of us, and it's difficult. And sometimes we get to a point where we think, I don't have any emotional strength. I don't have any spiritual strength left. I don't even feel like I have physical strength to get through it. And so we just, oh. depression sets in, or we're tired all the time, or we become more short with people, and, and what's happening is the pressures of our life are setting in, and we feel like we don't have any strength, and, and Scripture tells us the joy of the Lord, this inner disposition of looking at what God has done for us, it cultivates this and grows this fruit of joy in our life that becomes our foundation, and, and in the process, it becomes our strength. I've been jogging with a friend a few times a week recently, and we get up at the crack of dawn, and we meet out at the trailhead or the track, and uh, man, it's early, and it, but it's really good for me. Uh, you know, it's probably, a, you know, it's a healthy thing to do. So I'm a, I love the accountability, and, and um, sometimes I get to the trailhead, and I just feel, oh, you know, one, it's early. Two, you know, if I'm heavy-hearted or downtrodden or blue, if you want to say, or you know, just things are weighing on me, I sometimes feel like I don't have any energy to jog. And yet you kind of force yourself into it. And, and I know that when, when, when my heart is heavy like that, I don't get as good a workout as if I show up and I'm, you know, kind of energized by life. Just this joy has set in, and, and I feel the vibrance of God's Spirit. And, and you, you, you probably notice the difference in your own life. If you, if you have a good outlook and, and you are in generally feeling happy, if you want to use that word, you have a whole lot more energy, spiritual, emotional, physical energy to, to do things. Um, this joy that God gives us will provide a boost emotionally and spiritually and physically. And the verse that I get this from is found in a book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 10. It basically says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. There's a hint that it's true. Um, and Nehemiah, well, he was facing some, you know, just adversity. I mean, he had, uh, he grew up in a different land and, and Jerusalem was destroyed and he came back to help rebuild the city walls and, and he was facing um, you know, struggle from his own people. He was facing um, adversity from those in the neighboring nations, and they were just all against him trying to, to build this wall, and yet he figured out a way to lead the people to do it in, in record time. And so even though he had opportunities to grieve and to, to be down in spirit and um, physically and emotionally and spiritually spent, he's able to say, well, the joy of the Lord it's the joy of the Lord that is what is helping me to continue on. And when you discover the sufficiency of God's grace in your life, you'll find the energy and the strength to get through the problems that, that you face on a daily basis. And, and then we finally get to this um, notion that the kind of joy that we're talking about is intended to be shared. Uh, joy looks out. Joy looks up. Joy doesn't look in. Joy is in and doesn't look inward then. It looks out for other people. It's selfless, not selfish. Um, just like apples and oranges 
have a shelf life. They, they'll spoil their, their fruit if they're not consumed. Um, your spiritual fruit needs to be used or it'll spoil as well and, and no longer be of use to, to anyone. If we suppress gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, we kind of render them useless. I, I know some people, I've known some people who, um, who have had a, a difficult time in sharing in the joy of other people's accomplishments. And what I've noticed was uh, because they couldn't celebrate in somebody, when some, something good happened to somebody else, what happened is that they started to cultivate this bitterness and resentment and, and even this envy in their own spirit. And, and the joy that they had was totally spoiled. It was totally useless because they couldn't extend that and celebrate with, with other people. So be, at your, be on your guard uh, for the times when, when you might feel tempted to squelch the joy that you have in your heart. Watch out for times where bitterness might set in, resentment, anger, unforgiveness. This, the fruit that God is growing in your life isn't just to hang on the tree and, and look really good. It's to be consumed by you. It'll, it'll help you grow healthy and mature, but it's also to be shared so that that spills over and builds health and vitality into those who are around us. All right. Um, there's a couple things I have left that I want to tell you. And sometimes I will take a circuitous route around to, and, and just walk you through some ways where this might apply in your life. Sometimes I, I just need to come up and, and just give you a direct example. And so I think I'm going to start by giving you a direct example, and then I'm going to take the scenic route on, on just five things to help you cultivate joy in your life. So the first thing I want to talk about is relationships that we're in. And this has come up, you know, recently, and, and part of the um, foundation of this series is to help us uh, be better in our relationships, whether it's with our spouses or our coworkers or our fellow students at school, our neighbors, people in church. And so I want to talk about cultivating joy in your marriage and what that might look like. And there's three things. One is to cultivate joy in your marriage, I think you need to celebrate small things. Celebrate small things victories that you might have, job promotions, um, you know, getting an attaboy at work or an girl, or um, celebrating birthdays. Uh, I, I remember dates, and, and Lisa and I, our very first date ever was on April 6th, 1990. And every year on April 6th, I always tell her happy anniversary. I mean, that's, a, that's something small. We, we both get a chuckle out of it, and we're like, huh, how do you remember that? And like, I don't know. It's just what I do. But, you know, just something small. I celebrate small things in life and, and milestones. Second thing to cultivate joy in your marriage, I would say, is um, it looks like focusing on and speaking out loud the things that we love about one another the things that we enjoy, uh, the things that we first fell in love with that are still there. I hear people, I actually hear lots of people say, well, I tell my spouse everything, whether it's good or bad. And uh, someday, if I write a book, one of the books that I was have on my list to, to write is, is a, a book titled Things You Should Never Tell Your Spouse. That would be kind of a fun book to approach, wouldn't it? Things you should never tell your spouse. See, there's times where the devil will whisper in your ear. He'll come right up next to you, and, and he will whisper in your ear, and he will point out all of your partner's flaws. And he will focus your attention on things that drive you nuts. Pet peeves, things that you might put in the negative category. Satan is going to exploit that. He wants you to dwell on the things that are negative. The, de the devil will always, always, always lead you towards sin. 
The devil's not going to lead you away from sin. If you're harboring negative thoughts and you're constantly thinking about pet peeves about your husband or your wife, you're on the superhighway to sin. And when you constantly think about all of the ways that your spouse drives you nuts and angers you, well, what's going to happen is it's going to start to create doubt about your relationship. You're going to get angry more frequently. Resentment will start to set in, and you're going to develop this overly critical spirit towards your spouse. And, and see, what happens is sin that creeps into our lives, it starts to undermine our joy, and it eats away at our, at our ability to even to experience joy. See, the fruit of joy, it, it can't blossom when we're doing things that are displeasing to God. And so we need to confront this. We need to confess this sin like David when he had um, you know, committed adultery. Uh, he came to God and he said, forgive me. And he said, restore to me, Lord, the joy of my salvation. He recognized that that sin in his life had separated, cut him off from the joy, the exuberance, the vitality of, of God's life. See, some grievances and personal characteristics that, that we might put in the negative category about our spouse, we're all humans, and so there, you can't say that there aren't any. If you do, then you're a liar, and we should talk about that. <laughs> There's going to be something, and when the devil points you in that direction, those things aren't worth speaking out loud. Those are things that you should never tell your spouse. Those are things that you should take to God and say, will you help cleanse my thoughts? Because this is not right. See, we are told, we are counseled, taught biblically to put on love, which means that we seek what's best for one another. So we let the joy of the Lord be our strength when we might be feeling weakened in this area. And we remember that, that joy is present even during times of struggle and adversity. And we remember that when, when we learn to work through this adversity that we're actually going to strengthen our relationship. You can grow stronger in your marriage when, when you take this approach. And, and I would say this isn't, this isn't some pipe dream. It's not some pie-in-the-sky theology Finding joy by looking at your partner's gifts and qualities will improve your marriage. It'll do wonders for your own attitude, and it's going to bring you joy. I think you can trust me on that one. And the third thing that you can do to cultivate joy in your marriage is to surprise one another. Celebrate in new and unexpected ways. Keep the creativity alive in your relationship by constantly striving to to just do something unexpected for your partner because then you are living in an anticipation of, hey, what's going to come next? So those are three things. And then um, as we close the message this morning, there's, there are uh, five things that we can do to um, cultivate joy in your life. I'm going to just run through the list, and you can jot them down. You can think about them. Um, one is... By being grateful. Look up 1 Thessalonians 5.16. In fact, memorize it. Look for something to be grateful for each day. Write it down. Keep a gratitude journal. Second thing is by praising God and celebrating what he has done for you. Look up Psalm 103. Read that one through on a regular basis. Third thing would be uh, to cultivate joy, we cultivate joy when we trust God to do what he promises. Developing the ability to sink in, to believing that God will do what he says he will do. It's maybe write down, take the long view of life. Think of your circumstances now in light of eternity. We cultivate joy in our life when we bless other people and encourage them. Be a blesser. Be an encourager. 
And the fifth thing is we cultivate joy when we share the gospel with other people. When we lead people to Christ, it is a joyous occasion. So the five, if you're writing them down, be grateful. You cultivate joy by praising God and celebrating what he's done. You cultivate joy when you trust God to do what he promises. You cultivate joy when you bless other people and you are an encouragement to them. And you cultivate joy when you share the gospel message and lead other people to Jesus. You know, I told you I had done a little bit of research, and I was thankful to, to Lori. She helped me find some stuff on happiness and joy this week, and I guess I wasn't surprised by all the research that I read this week on happiness. Most of the studies, most of the studies dismissed material wealth and stuff as significant factors in our being happy. You know what the researchers found? You know what they found? They found evidence that the Bible's true. I love when secular research makes a case for what we've been learning in Scripture for thousands of years. The things that God has instilled in our very character and, and lives of and we are made in his image. And so well, these studies, um, they kind of backed up things that people of faith have been talking about for years. They came up with things like family and community and celebration are really important to cultivating joy, to experiencing true joy in your life. It's better than success, they say. They say that investing your time in faith nurturing your spiritual life it is crucial in being able to experience true happiness. And they say that being a person of gratitude consistently, looking for positive things, the, these are the three things that are listed among the top five to ten reasons that people experience true happiness. Sounds biblical to me. I find that in the book. British journalist uh, Malcolm Muggeridge, he said, uh, I can say that I never knew what joy was until I gave up pursuing happiness. So I know it's in our Declaration of Independence that we have the unalienable right to pursue happiness. But maybe we should pursue joy in a biblical way. Maybe God wants to fill you with this joy, and maybe the way to get there is to pursue God with your whole heart, to empty yourself and let him fill you up with his abundance so you can have his exuberance and his vitality. Just a thought. People of God said, amen.